Let us read the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, good morning. It's nice to be back here. The last time I was here, it was also the run-up to an important Christian festival time of year. And it was the, the, the week of Holy Week. On the Tuesday, we had a series of joint services, you may remember. And we looked at the, the run-up to the cross. So here I am finding myself back here as we consider the, the Advent towards Christmas. The Advent is the word which means the coming. It's a time where for the, the period of December and the four Sundays prior, the Christian church across the globe readies ourselves, reminds ourselves, and prepares ourselves for a remembrance of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a nice time, any, a nice time to be back at any place, but particularly at this time of year, it's good to remember these important periods in our, our, Christian, uh, our Christian journey. And it was alluded to in one of the prayers earlier that Jim mentioned, the, the world that we live in. A lot can change in a year, whether you're thinking about your own life or whether you are thinking about the world around us. So much goes on around us. There's so much changing and there's so much chaos. And I have to say, the older you get, the more chaos you think there is. The world is not any more chaotic than it was after the fall or before the flood, to be honest. But there is a sense, if for every generation, we always think, well, it's worse than it was. It's not. It's always bad. Um, every generation seems to think that. But there's always something new in every generation for us to be worrying about. And uh, perhaps that is, has some relevance in your own life, perhaps in the, the, your circumstances, your family, your work. There are so many things where life can be uh, chaotic. Uh, we all go through changes. The last time I was here, I was at Ebenezer as pastor, but I finished with them in the summer, and as Jim mentioned, I'm now at the Baptist College, and due to finish that just at Christmas time, um, there's one class I need to do for the Baptists to think I'm Baptist enough for them. 
and uh, a study of the history and identity back to the 17th century is something I've enjoyed doing and um, looking forward to, to finishing that next week, but I'll miss not doing it at the same time. It's nice to be a student again for a few months. So when you look back in your year, you maybe think, yeah, there's been a few changes. But think about the world around us. Think about, I don't know if you watch the news a lot. I, I'm a bit of a news junkie. Think about the Middle East, the, the situation and the chaos there. Think of Syria. Closer to home, you cannot escape Brexit. And think about your own life this year. Has it been chaotic? Has it been dark at times? Perhaps it has. But on the first Sunday of Advent, we can begin to remind ourselves again that there is light in the darkness. Whether it's the global situation, whether it's the European situation, the UK government, your own life, whatever the causes are for that, whether they're internal or external, Christmas is a great time of year because it reminds us that there is light in all of this darkness. The light has come. Advent is saying to us, the Messiah is coming. For hundreds of years, the Old Testament prophets were saying to us, the Messiah is coming. And, Messiah, and Isaiah is saying that the Messiah is coming. The Messiah will come. But as we will see, he's so certain that, he can ha that it's going to happen, he can speak about it in the past tense. It's called the prophetic perfect. The prophets in the Old Testament spoke as if something had happened, even though it wasn't going to happen for another 700 years, because they were so certain in the will of God that it was going to happen, and it was planned from eternity. It was as good as done. But they were looking forward to a time when the Lord is coming. And this morning, as we look at Isaiah's prophecy, we can look back to a time where they were excited about the Lord coming, we can also look back and give thanks that he has come, the light has come, the light has shone in the darkness, but we can also look forward to his second coming, and we can say, but he will come again. So there is so much richness in Old Testament prophecy. I only tend to want to preach on just a few verses. I read the whole of the, the first paragraph, but I just want to focus on the first couple of verses and verses 6 and 7. Because there's so much in those today for us that is enough in 30 minutes. It would take us an hour probably to do the whole paragraph. But these verses are just, they're, they're one of my favorite verses in Scripture. In fact, probably 6 and 7 are, if you're going to pick your most important, the most important verses in the Old Testament, probably nine, Isaiah 9.6, nine, 9.7 nine, is probably in the top five. Right up there with Jeremiah 23, uh, Jeremiah 30, 31. There are, there are some key verses. And this is certainly for me one of them. And often at Christmas time, when I read this for the first time, it brings a tear to my eye because it reminds me of the truth that it proclaims. And it tells us that a child is born. So amidst all the madness of Syria, Brexit, your life, in all the madness, what is God's answer at Christmas time? It does not get any more simple and sublime than the fact that a child is born in a manger, in a stable. That is a wonderful thing. This little passage, I say little in terms of 
sides. But this magnificent passage is God's promise to us, which has been fulfilled, and God always keeps His promises. And what I want to do very briefly this morning is just look at these, this promise from the Lord through Isaiah a little bit more in its biblical context as we think about the Lord's first coming, which it points forward to, but also as we in our world today think backwards to that, but also look forward to the Lord's second coming. And Isaiah does talk about the Lord's second coming in verses 6 and 7 as well. Prophecy works on several levels, at least three levels. The immediate future, the coming of the Messiah the first time, and then the final coming of the Messiah. So when you read the Old Testament prophets, always have sort of three time frames in your head. What was happening then or shortly after? What was it saying about Christ's coming in 4 BC? And what is it saying about Christ's second and final coming when he comes to establish his kingdom and the heavens and the earth will be made new? What, is, what are these verses saying about all of those three things? There's so much richness here. And that's why you can read Old Testament prophecy and see something new in it all the time, even though it's not new. You can always read something new in it. And the two things that I just want to share with you this morning that Isaiah is saying is this, and we, we mentioned this earlier to the kids. He's saying, firstly, because of this promise, because a child is born, firstly, there is light in the darkness. And secondly, Isaiah is reminding us that because Christ is born, there can be government in the madness. And that's what Isaiah is telling us many things. But that's just a couple of things I want to share this morning. Firstly, he's telling us that because Christ will come, and because we know Christ has come, folks, whatever you want to apply this to, whether it's political, personal, um, and I, I don't know you well enough to... to um, to know your situation, but the Lord knows it, and, and the Holy Spirit knows it, and He will take my mere human words, and He will um, apply that light into your life. He will strike a match in the darkness that needs to be illuminated, whatever that darkness may be. There is light in the darkness, Isaiah says in the first couple of verses. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Not a light, but the light. The, if you go home this afternoon and read a little bit of Isaiah, um, and I would highly recommend it, you will see that he there are different sections in Isaiah, and the chapters from 1 to 5 are a general introduction, focusing on Judah and Israel. And chapters 6 to 12, Isaiah focuses specifically on the theme of light and darkness. And he focuses on a light that is beyond the darkness of the coming time. And in doing that, he is pointing forward to a coming king. There are three great passages in this section about the coming Messiah. It's, it's a sort of triple, if you like. You'll know the one in chapter 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be, you, be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's the first of the great messianic triple prophecies. And then the second one is in chapter 9, which we're looking at. For to us, a child is born. And then there's a third one in chapter 11. 
In the first few verses, Isaiah talks about the shoot that will come up from the stump of Jesse, the branch. So these three prophecies of Christ form, um, uh, what do you call them at the end of a book? You know, so a book stands in this little section from chapter 6 to 12 about light in the darkness. This was a dark time in Judah. This was around the, begin the, the beginning or the end of the 8th century. But there's going to be light in the darkness. And Isaiah looks beyond the darkness and he shows us that there will be a light. In the first chapter, 6 to 9, he focuses specifically on darkness and light in Judah. And then from chapters 9 to 12, he looks at the darkness and light in Israel. And he tells them there will be divine judgment on you for your dark behavior. There will, but even so, there will be a, a believing, obeying remnant. And how will that be made possible? It will all be made possible by the hope of a coming king. Not the king that we have on the throne at the moment, but a king yet to come, which is, of course, Jesus Christ. And he relates the current situation to the future coming of Jesus Christ. In verse 1, he, he talks about how Zebulun and Naphtali were humbled. If you know your history, or your Bible history, this was the first area of the, the kingdom of Israel and Judah to fall to Assyria in 733 BC. This was the northern border. And the Assyrians came in this way. This was the first area of the kingdom of Israel to fall. It was being judged for their darkness. But if you also know your geography of the Holy Land, you will know that the tribal areas of Zebulun and Naphtali, as Isaiah tells us in verse, at the end of verse 1, is also the area of Galilee. So immediately, with you, as you're thinking forward to Jesus Christ, you, you're realizing that there's a connection here between the darkness that will befall this area and the light that will come when Jesus comes. God's purposes in history and geography and politics and leaders and rulers are not accidental. God appoints rulers and powers. And he permits, although the devil may cause things, the Lord permits things to happen for his good purposes in the end. And you can see that about 2,000 years or more of history. So it's no accident here that there's judgment on the area of the north of Israel, but Isaiah says there will be a time where there will be, what does he say? Nevertheless, in the future, he will honor Galilee. How will he honor Galilee? Well, he will honor Galilee by the coming of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for his ministry. This was a dark time in Israel. And Isaiah's saying, look, there is a light that's going to come. Was it any darker in the future, when Herod was on the throne, no, it was just as dark, if not darker. At least as dark. And we've got a little bit of hint in Luke, in his first chapter, verse 5. Luke starts verse 5 when he says, in the time of Herod. If you know anything about Herod's rule, that was a dark time. In that dark time, that's what Luke is saying, in the time of Herod, which was a dark time, there's a light coming, just as Isaiah had promised. And in Matthew, Matthew tells us in his, in his Christmas account, he tells us about how bad the time of Herod, Herod was. He tells us about the, the, you know, the slaughter of the innocents in chapter 2. 
People wonder why this isn't mentioned outside the Bible. They say, oh, did it really happen? The reason it's only mentioned in the Bible and it's not mentioned outside the Bible is because Herod committed so many other atrocities that this isn't even worth mentioning in the scale of all the other horrific stuff that Herod did. This was a dark, dark time. But in that dark time, the Messiah was going to come. And it's just the same nowadays. Look at the turmoil in the Middle East. Look at what's going on in Syria, on the doorsteps of Palestine. Right now, that area is in a dark, dark time. But to us, a child has been born. To us, a son has been given. In verse 2, Isaiah tells us about the darkness and the light. He says, the people in walking in the darkness, they are in the land of the shadow of death. A great light has dawned. Here's the prophetic perfect, has dawned. He doesn't mean it has happened. He means it will happen. In 700 years' time, a great light will dawn. What's the great light? Well, firstly, there's a great star. Don't know what kind of star it was. Maybe a conjunction, maybe a comet. Who knows? Doesn't matter. But there was a great star, a great light in the sky, which led the Magi to the birth of Jesus Christ, who was the true light. And if Rembrandt had been painting a picture of the star of Bethlehem over the, the stable or the house, he would not have had the light coming from the comet or the star. He would have had the light coming from Christ, even although the star would might have been in the picture somewhere. So Isaiah predicts, in a very small way perhaps, the star, but he's not really predicting the star. He's predicting the light itself, which is Jesus Christ. And this light is a light for all people. It's a light for the Gentiles. Isaiah tells us later on in his, his, in his book, he tells us later in chapter 42, he says, I, the Lord, verse 6, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep hold. This is one of the servant songs. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And later on in another servant song, he says again, he talks about the Messiah being the light for all of us. Chapter 49, he says, verse 6, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus is the light, the light that was prophesied. And if you go into the New Testament and read the Christmas stories again, which I hope you do over the next four weeks, you'll see again this theme of the light having come. The light that was prophesied by Isaiah, the Messiah, has now come to us. Luke tells us in, again in his account, he, remember after Christmas, he, he, gives us, he tells us about Simeon's prayer. And we read Simeon's prayer. Simeon says at the end of chapter, middle of chapter 2, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And even before Christ came, when he was prophesied, when Zechariah was appeared to actually by the, the angel uh, Gabriel, Zechariah prays, in, in the end of his prayer, at the end of chapter 1, 
Because of your tender, the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. You see how the theme goes right the way through Scripture. There's no accidental use of usage of words or definitions or 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 uh, ideas in Scripture. And what it's telling us is Jesus is the light, the light that was prophesied, the light has come, the light that will shine in the darkness. And Jesus himself, as we reminded the kids, not that they needed reminding, sometimes it's me that needs the reminding. It's us. Jesus says himself in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. So whatever your situation, remember that Jesus is the light in the darkness. Don't extinguish the light. It's easy to distinguish the light by our actions, by our words, our thoughts. But this Christmas time, strike a match. Open the curtains, let the sunlight in. Don't stay in the darkness. It's not why Jesus came. To us, a child is born. Secondly, Jesus is not only the light in the darkness, he is, and, and in the context of the world situation and in the rule of our lives, this is important. He is government in the madness. And we'll look at this briefly in terms of the world, firstly, and also secondly, personally. Verses 6 to 7, one of the, my most favorite verses in the Old Testament, for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Because Jesus was born, he gives government in the madness. Firstly, in terms of the world. Isaiah tells us in chapter 40 about how the Lord brings rulers to naught. Princes are nothing. He weighs nations as sand in a bucket. They are compared to the governance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it's Syria, whether it's Brexit, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar, whether it's Herod, they are all dust in a bucket compared to the rule, the kingdom, which has been and will be established by our Lord Jesus Christ. They are not a patch on his governance. Why? Because, simple, a child is born. Is that how a ruler would come and set up their kingdom? Is that how one of the powers or authorities of this world would declare their presence or enter into the, the, the G20 or the, the diplomatic sphere? No. But how does, the kingdom of, how does the king of heaven announce his kingship? A child is born. A child is born. To us, a son is given. And just like the theme of light and darkness through Scripture, this idea of a child being born goes from beginning to end. Way back in Genesis 3.15, after the fall, we are told that a child will be born. Although Adam and Eve have fallen, and the Lord says there'll be enmity between you and the woman, the serpent and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, there's a prophecy here, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Who is the he? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ crushes the devil with his death on the cross. A son born to Eve, so to speak. This birth, this idea of a child being born for our salvation goes right the way through Scripture. Starts at Genesis. 
And it is prophesied in Isaiah. And then, of course, that's why we have Christmas. A baby is born in a manger. In the story that Luke recounts about the, 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 the coming birth, the great words in chapter 2, what, how, how, does, how is the king of all creation, how is his entrance into the earth described by Luke? Verses 6 and 7, it could not be more simple. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In just those two verses, Luke announces the entrance of the king of all glory into this earth. With such humility, such simplicity, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. John 3, 16. God gave us his only son. So how are we saved? Because a child is born. The son of God is given for us. And because of that, the Lord's govern, government will, whatever the madness is just now, the Lord's government will truly uh, be established. In a sense, it has been established at the cross and resurrection, but it will not fully be consummated until he comes again. There's, there's a strange now and not yet in the Christian faith. There's a, a strange has happened still to happen. That's one for coffee or a theological classroom or whatever. But there's a sense in which Jesus has established his kingdom. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. And some of you will not pass away before the kingdom is established. But there's a sense in which it's not fully consummated until he comes again. And we look forward to that day. But Jesus rules. He is at the right hand of God the Father. When he has ascended, he sits at the right hand of the God, God the Father. And it says at the end of Matthew, all power on heaven and on earth has been given to him. Previously in the Gospels, Jesus says, all power on earth has been given to me. But after the resurrection, Matthew tells us that Jesus says, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So his great work of salvation and resurrection in some sense establishes his governance. And goodness knows what the world would be like if Jesus hadn't come 2,000 years ago. You think it's bad now? Can you imagine if the Christ had not died and the church and his kingdom had not begun to go out from uh, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth? I don't even want to imagine that. But there's still some stuff needing dealt with. And the time will come where Jesus will come back and that will be fully dealt with. That's what we mean about Jesus' government in the world. And whatever your political color is, whatever your uh, world, world view and politics are, remember, God appoints rulers and authorities. And he will use them, even the most evil of rulers, whether it's Kim Jong-un or Nebuchadnezzar or whoever. God will use them. But ultimately, these nations will fall. Why? Because his son is on the throne. It's his government that we can take assurance of and peace, have peace in at this Christmas. Because, which brings me nicely into my last point, this government of Jesus brings peace. Uh, Isaiah talks about peace and justice and righteousness uh, later on in chapter 11. And he talks about how the servant will bring peace and justice and righteousness in his servant songs. We don't have time to read them, but that's one for your own, your own study later. 
And this peace is not something that's going to um, capitulate when the Versailles Treaty is rejected by 1920s Germany. It's not some kind of UN mandate which is vetoed because one of the five doesn't like it. This peace, Isaiah says, will be from that time on and forever. And we won't read it, but that echoes God's promise to David in 2 Samuel 7 about how somebody will always stay on David's throne forever. Another one for your afternoon study. So Isaiah is talking about, yes, his first coming, but he's also talking about Jesus' final second and final coming, where his government will be truly established. And as we look back at Christmas time and give thanks for a child that's been born, and as we uh, look forward to Christmas Day, let us look forward in hope and with some sense of peace that Jesus ultimately will rule. And his kingdom in this world, uh, Isaiah says, it will have, what does he say, no end. It's an eternal kingdom. That's the promise from the angel to, to Mary. That's something Daniel prophesied in Daniel 7. This kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ will never end. It is an eternal kingdom. It came from eternity, and it will exist in and carry on for all eternity. So when whatever happens in Syria, Brexit, Jesus' kingdom has been established, and it will remain forever. And I rejoice in that this Christmas time. And lastly, Jesus' government is government in the world. He is also government in the madness of our personal lives. And with this, we close. And your personal circumstances are different. Sometimes they're peaceful. Sometimes it's madness. Sometimes that madness is external, um, and it's not our doing. Sometimes it's our own doing. Every sin is an inside job. But there are reasons for that madness. But whether the pressures are external or whether you're wrestling with things that are causing your life to go a little bit haywire, it's because you do not have Jesus in the government seat in your life. That's been my experience over my number of years as a Christian. If I found my things going a little bit mad, if I take an honest look at myself, it's because I've taken Jesus out of the governance of my life. Whether it's sin and it's things I, I'm, I'm struggling with or not dealing with, Jesus can offer a governance over that sin and the madness of my life. Perhaps it's sickness. Perhaps you're facing sickness because of the fallen state of our human bodies and you're finding that difficult to deal with. And God may heal you, he may not. But whether he does or he doesn't, ask the Holy Spirit for that help to recognize that he is sovereign over that. And whatever happens with that illness, he will give you the peace and you will know his governance in that. Whatever the outcome, his governance and your peace should not be based on the outcome. You should know it, whatever the outcome. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say to Nebuchadnezzar, the Lord may save us from this fire. God might save you from whatever you're dealing with. But they also say to Nebuchadnezzar, even, and this is the better part of the verse, even if he does not, we will not bow down to your statue and worship it. And you can know Christ's governance in your life this Christmas, even if he does not do whatever. But thirdly, sin, sickness, thirdly, self. 
How easy is it for us to govern ourselves, to put ourselves upon the throne? And the manifestations of that are endless. Every sin is idolatry, and every idolatry stems from a, an honoring of self and a pride which takes Christ away from his governance in our lives and puts us on the throne. That's my greatest weakness. I wonder if it's yours. At Christmas time, it's a chance for us to take ourselves off that governing seat and say, Jesus, take that governance in my life. How can we do that? Because a child was born. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son at Christmas time. We thank you for the promises. We thank you that those promises were fulfilled. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will uh, help, uh, not in, a, in, in a, a, a trivial sense, Lord, but you will help you, your spirit shine as light in the darkness of our lives, whatever our circumstances may be. And in the areas, Lord Jesus, where we need you to be government in our lives, to, to rule, we just ask for your Spirit's help for us to decrease so that you may increase. Help us to remember that it's no longer us that live. We died. Uh, you died so that you could live in us. And we just ask this Christmas time that you would help us with that. By your Spirit we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.